If, uh, if you've been around Redemption Chapel for even a few years, you probably already know that I absolutely love Christmas. But I talked to my team, and we decided that with all going on right now in the world, uh, I'll warn you right now, this one's going to have a little bit of a different feel. Because what we're going to talk about this Christmas Eve is painful Christmas. So I didn't tell you that ahead of time, right? <laughs> hey, that sounds like fun. Let's pack the kids up and go to that, right? No, so we hid that from you until this moment. So we're going to be talking about painful Christmas because, hey, let's be honest, there, there is pain that we feel at Christmas time. And to give you a little bit of a taste for that, I'm going to show you a video from Saturday Night Live, albeit edited for the whole family, right? Enjoy this. Asleep. Oh. All right, what's there left to do? Dishes? Already done. So, did you have a Merry Christmas? Are you kidding me? That was the best Christmas ever. Really? Babe, I had a smile on my face from the moment I woke up. I was more excited than the kids. Yeah, I know. Honestly. I was the same way. Yeah. <laughs> they like their presents, right? Dana loves her playhouse. <laughs> you weren't up too late building it, were you? Hmm. <laughs> oh, it was a breeze. My family didn't ruin your day, did they? No. I love that we hosted this year. Mary, traffic was awful. Three hours. Whoa, you can't wait. <laughs> you sure? Honestly, babe, they made my day. <laughs> hey, Rach, is, is Cameron sick? I can't believe your cousin made the drive. I know. God, it was so nice to see him. Yeah. Why do I have to take because it off? Because it's Why? my dinner table in front of my kids. No, you're racist against whites. You're racist against whites. She is. Well, I had a perfect day. Me too. I mean, this is going to sound corny, but... I don't know if it was you and the kids... But I definitely felt some Christmas magic today. <laughs> I absolutely love them. Come on, guys. Thank you, guys. Thank you, guys. Best Christmas ever? <laughs> Best Christmas ever. fun, isn't it? You laugh, and yet it's true, right? It's the way it is, and okay, so I got to be honest, that was my way of getting you to start laughing at the idea of painful Christmas, because now I want to get real about it, because if we're honest, Christmas is oftentimes a very painful season, right? Like, so the, the whole season is tiring and exhausting. Like, at the end of it, you're just spent, Right? 
And then there's financial tensions. Sometimes you don't have all the money that you want to buy the gifts that you want to buy. Or maybe you do buy those gifts and now you have no money, right? And there's financial tensions. And then there's family or relational tensions in, in our Christmas celebrations. Like you saw in the video, the kids fighting over toys and the selfishness that weaves in. And oh, by the way, hey, good news, your kids are off for several weeks and home with you. <laughs> right? There's tension there. And some of you have older, you have adult kids. And some of you are estranged from your adult children. And at Christmas, it's like that's highlighted. And that pain is right there. And then there's extended family that come over. We saw that. And then the wonderful political debates that can happen around the Christmas. That's so much fun, right? And there's other things like marriage stress. Like, like, listen, marriage is hard. I mean, not our marriage, right? Our marriage is perfect, right? Okay, good. But marriage is hard. And somehow at Christmas, with all the stuff going on, fights just start more. And some of you are thinking, I'd love to have marriage fights because I'm single. Right? And, and, and that singleness, sometimes you're cool with it, sometimes you're not. And, and it's like Christmas can put a spotlight on your singleness and you feel some pain there. Some of you are divorced. That's always hard. But if you have shared custody when it comes to holidays, like extra hard, right? And parents feel it and kids feel it. It's just a difficult time. And then there's grief and loss. Like maybe you've lost somebody you love so much. And so when you gather around the Christmas table, there's that one empty chair that used to be filled, and it just hurts. It hurts at Christmas. And that's every year. And then this year we have COVID pain, right? You thought it was just 2020. That's great, right? And, and And there's a new surge going on right now, and there's isolation, and there's job loss. There's supply chain issues, shipping issues, such that maybe Christmas looks a little bit like this. It's been a rough year. (laughs) It's just been a rough one. Listen, that's a great Christmas picture. What we typically do is Instagram Christmas, right, where you fake it, and you get the perfect picture, and you Photoshop it anyway, and you make it just Instagram ready, but that's Christmas right there. Like we think of Christmas as merry and bright and holly and jolly, but actually Christmas can be painful, very, very painful. Now, you'll notice this in our Christmas movies. Okay, I just rewatched Christmas Vacation. Clark is in pain the whole movie. Like, it's just a movie of pain. Or what about Die Hard? Which is a Christmas movie. Fight me. Fight me. All right? Listen, you go on Google. You type in Christmas movie. And watch the list that comes up. It's at the end of the list. You've got to scroll right the whole way, but it's on the list, baby. And John McClane's in pain the whole time. And then, of course, a total Christmas classic, Home Alone. the whole movie right there, right? It's just a movie of pain. It's a Christmas movie. Now, we kind of think like, why are, why 
why are our Christmas movies all full of pain? And maybe there's a reason. Maybe there's a reason. Because maybe, maybe pain is not an interruption to Christmas. Maybe pain is not a contradiction to Christmas or a conflict. Maybe, maybe Christmas was painful from the very beginning. Think of it, if you will, from Mary's perspective. Here's a picture uh, painted by a guy named, what's this guy's name? Julius Garbaldi Melchers. No idea if I butchered his name, don't care. But he painted this in 1891. It's called the Nativity and it captures it, right? I mean, ladies, you've given birth, like you're just slumped afterwards, right? But hey, look at the picture. Isn't that how you feel after Christmas, right? That's Christmas. Now, of course, there is one inaccurate part of it. Uh, Once again, Jesus' head is glowing. That was just not a thing. Okay, that, that didn't happen, but there it is. But, but they're just slumped. After all, think of this, ladies. Imagine if before you give birth, you're like at term, okay? You're nine months pregnant. Before you give birth, you have to hike 70 miles from Nazareth down to Bethlehem as the crow flies 70 miles. Now, Samaria is in between. A good Jew would go around, and so it was likely longer than that. Scholars speculate it was a journey that probably took them seven to ten days. She's at full term. Now, the donkey's just legend, okay? That's not in the Bible. But like the donkey's better? You ladies who have been pregnant, nine months pregnant for seven to ten days, right? Oh, oh, and there are no rest stops, no service stations, no fast food places. And ladies, when you're pregnant, you know how often... You've got to stop, right? Well, there's the bushes, right? For seven to 10 days. No hotels along the way. No hotel at the end. It's all full and you've got to go to the stable behind. Now, have you ever complained about how a hotel bed is uncomfortable? We've all done that, right? Pregnant ladies, you can't get comfortable in any bed, right? You have stra- straw and a manger. There's your bed. Whew. All that's inconvenient and uncomfortable. That's not the painful part, is it? Not at all. That's the easy part. Here's the painful part. Uh, This is actually a photograph. Uh, An artist, photographer uh, staged this to try to capture what Christmas was really like. Really like. (laughs) To be nice to you, I cropped out the bottom half of the picture. Kid you not. Ain't nobody need to see that, okay? (laughs) But, But from what I've heard, birth is painful. Don't know myself, but from what I've heard. And so Christmas was painful from the very get-go. And so what we have then is Instagram Christmas where it's all peaceful and joyful and silent night. But you know what? It was loud. It was messy. It was painful. Christmas was painful from the very beginning. But that's Mary's perspective. Have you ever wondered what Christmas was like from Jesus' perspective? Right? So, so what we understand is that there is one triune God, eternally existent, the great and glorious God himself. He decided in the second person of the Trinity, God the Son, to enter into hum- human existence, to take on human flesh. Okay? I love the way uh, this, oh, oh, and by the way, you know the reason he did that was so that he could then die for us, right? Okay, death is kind of painful. But, but before he could die, he had to be born. And just the birth part had to be painful. Here's a line from a song I love. It says, from a throne of endless glory to a cradle in the dirt. Could you imagine what that was like for God himself? And then the son of God, 
would cry and feel hunger and have teething pains. He would grow up to endure insults and betrayal and beating and eventually death. Christmas was, was painful, painful. And why did he put up with that? He did it because of the mess that we made, because of the pain that we injected into this world. We're not just victims, we're perps. We all do it. We mess this place up and he came. This Christmas is God entering into our pain. And when you feel those various forms of emotional pain that seem to get spotlighted around Christmas, I want you to know this. Christmas and pain go together. They always have. It's not an interruption to Christmas. But listen, Christmas is God entering into our pain. That's what it is. That's Christmas. It's God saying, listen, I see you. That pain you're feeling, that pain you're going through, I see you, God's saying. And he's, you know what? I'm not just going to see you from a distance. I'm coming for you. And he enters into your pain to be with you and to eventually take you out and take you home. Christmas is God entering into our pain. There's a guy who knew this. His name was Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Maybe you recognize his name. He's a famous pastor, German pastor, Lutheran pastor. He lived during the Nazi era. He was not cool with the Nazis. He was a part of the resistance. He eventually got caught, got imprisoned. He, uh, was, he was engaged to be married. He had a beloved fiance. He would actually never get out. He was executed. So he, talk about pain, right? Like he never got to marry his beloved. So he's in a Nazi prison camp. It's Advent. It's the preparation for Christmas, right? And he's there and he decides from that cell to write a letter to his beloved fiance. And so on December 1st, 1943, he wrote this. Thus Advent can be celebrated only by those whose souls give them no peace. Who know that they are poor and incomplete and who sense something of the greatness that is supposed to come before which they can only bow in humble timidity, waiting until he inclines himself toward us. The Holy One himself, God in the child in the manger. God is coming. The Lord Jesus is coming. Christmas is coming. Rejoice, O Christendom. Now remember, he's writing this from a jail cell. Look what he says next. I think we're going to have an exceptionally good Christmas. Huh? The very fact that every outward circumstance precludes our making provision for it will show whether we can be content with what is truly essential. I used to be very fond of thinking up and buying presents. But now that we have nothing to give, the gift God gave us in the birth of Christ will seem all the more glorious. That's Christmas. Bonhoeffer knew that Christmas is God entering into our pain. And so here he is. He's in pain. He's in a Nazi prison camp, can't see his beloved, won't see his beloved. He's got pain and he knows he has a choice. He can either tailspin into despair or while being very real about his pain, facing it head on, he can leverage that pain to focus on what is truly essential. 
quote unquote, that's what he says, truly essential. What is that? That there's a bigger story to the universe than just my pain. That God is the God of history. God is the God of the universe. He has this great and grand story. And that our pain is just temporary. That God entered into our pain so that he could take us home out of our pain if we truly belong to him. I'm not talking going to church on Christmas and Easter. If that's you, I'm so glad you're here. That's great. That's awesome. But I'm not talking Christian religion. I'm talking being in a relationship with God. He came so he could connect with us and take us home. But notice, in order to take us home, first he had to die and pay the penalty for our sins so that he could purchase our fair home. And that death was painful. But before he could die, he had to be born. And that's Christmas. And it was painful from the very beginning. I don't know what kind of wave of pain is hitting your life right now. I know this. I know you have And what's greater than my knowing it? God knows it. And he doesn't know it from a distance. But he sees it, and he rushed into our world to be with you, to eventually lead you home. And until he leads you home, he wants to wrap his arms around you and sit with you in your pain right beside you. That's Christmas. Christmas is God entering into our pain. Everything else is window dressing. Trees and lights and presents and cars and cards and cookies, that's all window dressing. Christmas is God entering into our pain. So I pray that this Christmas, you would find yourself meeting Jesus in your pain. And sometimes we think Jesus thinks our pain is an interruption to Christmas. Like he's sitting there waiting for us to get over it so he can connect with us. No, 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 no. He wants to meet you right in the middle of your pain. Remember, Christmas was painful for Jesus before it was ever painful for us. He's used to it. He wants to meet you right there. And he didn't have to experience a painful Christmas. We do. He didn't have to do that. But he did it. Why? Because he loves you. And he came for you. And he wants you. And he wants more than religion. He wants a relationship with you, to walk with you through the pain, and then to someday take you home. And that's Christmas. Christmas is God entering in to our pain. Let me pray for you. Father, I pray that this Christmas Eve, even tomorrow on Christmas Day, we would find ourselves on our knees before a cradle in the dirt where the King of kings, the King of glory, God himself, your Son, came for us to enter into our mess and enter enter into our pain and to be real with us, that we might be real with you. Lord God, don't let us miss it. We might have relationship with you and know you and walk with you through the pain and then someday go home to glory. Father, thank you for Christmas. We pray in Christ's name. So Christmas is God entering into our pain, and I've explained that already, and now I want to help you feel that a little bit. So uh, I, I don't know if you've ever imagined what it would be like for Jesus to return to the inn, right? You remember, like, Mary and Joseph, no room at the inn, he's born, little baby Jesus in the stable out back, right? But remember, he grew up, 
And around 30 years old, he's wandering around Israel teaching town to town to town. We don't know this. It's, it's speculation, but it's likely that he went back through Bethlehem at one point. And what would it have been like for Jesus to return to that inn? I'm going to show you a video. It's a longer video. It's Pastor John Piper reading a poetic, beautiful story, a fictional story of Jesus returning to that inn. It's called the innkeeper. Now for you to, I want to make sure all of us catch what's going on there because we have various levels of biblical literacy in the room. Remember the massacre of the innocents. So, so King Herod was the king when King Jesus was born. And, and he was threatened by the, new, the eternal kings being born, like newborn king. And so he wants to wipe out that new king to protect his throne. So he orders, this is history, this happened. He orders the massacre of the innocents, which means he sent death squads to Bethlehem and the surrounding vicinity to murder, to eliminate all the boys two years old and younger. Talk about a painful Christmas. Watch this. Jake's wife would have been 58 the day that Jesus passed the gate of Bethlehem and slowly walked towards Jacob's inn. The people talked with friends and children played along the paths and Jesus hummed a song and smiled at every child he saw. Folks said the inn had never been a place for sin for Jacob was a holy man and he and Rachel had a plan to marry, have a child or two and serve the folks who traveled through, especially the poor, who brought their meal and turtle doves and sought a place to stay near Zion's gate. They'd rise up early, stay up late to help the pilgrims go and come. And when the place was full, to some, especially the poorest, they would say, we're sorry there's no room, but stay now if you like out back. There's lots of hay, and we have extra cots that you can use. There'll be no charge. The stable isn't very large, but Noah keeps it safe. He was a wedding gift to Jake because the shepherds knew he loved the dog. There's nothing in the Decalogue, he used to joke, that says a man can't love a dog. The children ran ahead of Jesus as he strode towards Jacob's inn. The stony road that led up to the inn was deep with centuries of wear and steep at one point just before the door. The Lord knocked once, then twice, before he heard an old man's voice, round back, it called. So Jesus took the track that led around the inn. The old man leaned back in his chair and told the dog to never mind and had no one to tend the door, my lad, for 30 years. I'm sorry for the inconvenience to your sore feet. The road to Jerusalem is hard, ain't it? Don't mind old Shem, he's harmless, like his dad. Won't bite a Roman soldier in the night. Sit down. Jacob waved the stump of his right arm. We're in a slump right now, 
Got lots of time to think and talk. Come, sit, have a drink. From Jacob's well, he laughed. You own the inn? The Lord inquired. On loan, you'd better say. God owns the inn. At that, the Lord knew they were kin and ventured on. Do you recall the tax when Caesar said to all the world that each must be enrolled? Old Jacob winced. Are north winds cold? Are deserts dry? Do fishes swim and ravens fly? I do. A grim and awful year it was for me when God ordained that strange decree. How could I such a time forget? Why do you ask? I have a debt to pay, and I must see how much. Why do you say that it was such a grim and awful year? He raised the stump of his right arm. So dazed, young man, I didn't know I'd lost my arm. Do you know what it costs for me to house the Son of God? The old man took his cedar rod and swept it round the place, empty, for 30 years alone, you see? Old Jacob, poor old Jacob, runs it with one arm, a dog, no sons. But I had sons once. Joseph was my firstborn. He was small because his mother was so sick. When he turned three, the Lord was good to me and Rachel, and our baby Ben was born the very fortnight when the blessed family arrived. And Rachel's gracious heart contrived a way for them to stay there in that very stall. The man was thin and tired. You look a lot like him. But Jesus said, why was it grim? We got a reputation here that night. Nothing at all to fear in that, we thought. It was of God. But in one year, the slaughter squad from Herod came. And where do you suppose they started? Not a clue. We didn't have a clue what they had come to do. No time to pray. No time to run, no time to get poor Joseph off the street and let him say goodbye to Ben or me or Rachel. Only time to see a lifted spear smash through his spine and chest. He stumbled to the sign that welcomed strangers to the place and looked with panic at my face as if to ask what he had done. Young man, you ever lost a son? The tears streamed down the Savior's cheek. He shook his head, but couldn't speak. Before I found the breath to scream, I heard the words, a horrid dream. Kill every child who's two or less. Spare not for aught, nor make excess. Let this one be the oldest here. And if you count your own life, dear, let none escape. I had no sword, no weapons in my house, but Lord, I had my hands, and I would save the son of my right hand.
so brave. Rachel was so brave. Her hands were like a thousand iron bands around the boy. She wouldn't let him go. And so her own back met with every thrust and blow. I lost my arm, my wife, my sons, the cost of housing the Messiah here. Why would he simply disappear and never come to help? They sat in silence and Jacob wondered at the stranger's tears. I am the boy. I am the boy that Herod wanted to destroy. You gave my parents room to give me life. And then God let me live and took your wife. Ask me not why the one should live, another die. God's ways are high and you will know in time. But I have come to show you what the Lord prepared the night you made a place for heaven's light. In two weeks, they will crucify my flesh. But mark this, Jacob, I will rise in three days from the dead and place my foot upon the head of him who has the power of death. And I will raise with life and breath your wife and Ben and Joseph too and give them, Jacob, back to you with everything the world can store and you will reign forevermore.